And I want to add my thank you to the moms. Um, I echo all the things that were said. Just grateful for so many mothers in this church. Thank you to my wife for being a wonderful mother to our daughter. And I believe my mom's listening in Indiana. Just so thankful for you. I know we all have stories of ways that we made it very, very hard for our mothers. (laughs) And I was reflecting on some of those this morning. And I'm thankful for your patience and for showing me my Lord. So thank you, moms, for doing that well in this church. I also just want to thank you. Uh, I'm going to have an opportunity next week at the ordination service to say a few more things, but thank you for your prayers and your encouragements of the church plant. October 2nd is our launch date. It's coming up, and I'm just exceedingly grateful for you all as a church and your constant support and your encouragement. So thank you for that as well. Well, I'm excited to dive into God's Word together this morning. We're going to be picking back up in our first Peter series, and we're nearing the end now. We're in chapter 5. So far, Peter's written to strengthen these dispersed believers in the face of persecution and sufferings. So we come now to Peter's final exhortations, where he gives a rapid-fire list of reminders for them. And he begins this list with a call to humility. So we're going to read now, if you turn with me to 1 Peter 5, we're going to read the second half of verse 5 through verse 11, but our focus this morning is just going to be on verses 6 and 7. So let me pray for us before we read God's word. Father, we thank you for the gift that it is that we can come before you this morning. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts this morning, help me as I seek to communicate your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to humble ourselves, even before your word, to receive it with joy and gladness that it might have an effect on our hearts. Open our hearts now to your word through the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. When I was six, my family moved houses. We were leaving the home that I was born into, the home that was next to some of my closest friends and next to my grandmother. And even though I was six, I can remember this move very vividly. On the day that we were moving, or one of the days that we were moving, my sister and I asked if we could stay in the new house while my parents went back to the old to grab a few things. And so my sister was 11 at the time, so, you know, it wasn't just two six-year-olds in the house, but... 
Although I was talking to my mom this week. She's like, why did we let you do that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but they leave. And uh, immediately, for my sister and I, panic starts to set in. We're looking in the cupboards. There's no food. What are we going to eat? There's no cups. What are we going to drink? I don't know this house. I don't know this neighborhood. So we're panicking, and we make the only logical decision that we should walk back to the old house. So we set out. I didn't even have shoes. I didn't even have socks. So it didn't take very long till my sisters got me hoisted on her back, and we're trekking down the street quickly realizing maybe this wasn't the great plan that we thought it was. It wasn't long until our car comes down the road with the shocked look of my mom and my aunt passing by us as I'm on my sister's back and we're trekking down the road. Well, what happened here? Well, our fear led us to question the plan, to disobey our mom's orders, and to take matters into our own hands. And worries tend to do this to us. We do some pretty irrational things when we're afraid. Worries tend to make us panic. This was the temptation that these believers were facing. In the face of their suffering and persecution, they were tempted to stray from God's sovereign care. Tempted to worry, tempted to doubt, tempted to return reviling for reviling or abuse for abuse. And this is exactly the temptation that we all face when we're confronted with difficulties in our own lives. We tend to question God's plans in anxiety, disobey his commands and rely on our understanding and our own strength to provide. We're people who are prone to pride, to fear, and anxiety, which is why Peter presents us then with this call to humility. Humble yourselves, reminding us at the end of verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What we need most in our trials is the ability to humble ourselves before our God, to submit to his leadership of our lives, Biblical humility is essentially this, submission to God. Recognition that we're needy children before a faithful creator. And Peter reminds us of that in our passage this morning. He shows us that those who are humble entrust their cares to the Lord and faithfully await his loving provision. So we're going to look at a few things this morning. The reality that the humble cast their cares on the Lord and then that they do this because they know their God. They know that he's in control, that he exalts, and that he cares. So first, the humble cast their cares on God. Studies are showing that the pandemic has taken quite a toll on the mental health of society. One study shows that rates of depression and anxiety have climbed more than 20% just in the year 2020 alone. Millennials have earned the title, The Anxious Generation, and Gen Z's following right behind. So what do we do with this? How do we avoid being an anxious generation? Well, our passage this morning answers, in humility, we cast our cares on the Lord. If you're using the NIV translation this morning, you may see a period at the end of verse 6 and verse 7 start with, cast all your anxiety on him, almost like it's a, a change of thought. Whereas the ESV has a comma at the end of verse 6 and says, casting all your anxiety on him. 
the ESV hits on the thrust of this passage. Verse 7 is the completion of the argument from verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore. And how are we to do that? By casting your anxieties on him. I'd assume many of us don't regularly think this way. When we think of practicing humility, we jump to putting others before ourselves or speaking not too highly of ourselves. We jump to not seeking the praise of men. But do we consider that how we handle the anxieties of our life is a reflection of our humility? I've read anxiety defined this way. An intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. We've all experienced this. Anxieties arise when something desired by us is threatened, whether that be life or health or money, relationship, protection, and so on. And these aren't bad things to desire, but in our sinful flesh, we tend to go one of two ways in anxiety. We either grab hold of the steering wheel and do all that we can to try and take things in our direction, or we shrivel under the weight of our fears and we enter into despair. The believers Peter's writing to likely were tempted towards both of these things as well. And both of these things, though they seem so different, are examples of pride and self-reliance before our God. There are own ways of refusing to trust God with our issues. Now, before I go much further into this, I, I want to take a minute and acknowledge a group of people here who've struggled intensely with anxiety in their life. If that's you... I know that hearing that anxiety is an expression of pride has a good potential to only add to your struggles, leave you more anxious. You think, I try and I try and I try to cast my cares on the Lord, but it just seems impossible to escape these thoughts. I've had those very same thoughts. I've had significant bouts of intense anxiety over the years, and and there can be many factors that play into this for us. And I'm not wanting to be glib this morning. I know sometimes we can have physiological responses that get so out of control that it seems like we blew past the ability to cast our cares long ago. Well, we're embodied people. So just as we address the spiritual, we at times need to take time for the physical as well. Sometimes good sleep. Sometimes a long walk. A hot bath. Counseling. Laughter, and at times even medical help can provide us the relief that we need to take hold of reality again. However, even when physiological factors work against us, there's a spiritual battle to be waged. There are always thoughts that fueled my cycles of anxiety. There are always cares driving our stress. There's always lies we believe and truths that we need to have find a home in our heart and our head, truths that will help us. And the most significant of those being that we do not have to labor under our worries alone. I could and should cast my cares on the Lord. And just what this casting looks like 
may vary from situation to situation. At a bare minimum, it means turning to the Lord in prayer with our needs. Sometimes it means taking further action on an issue. Sometimes it means waiting. Sometimes it means saying, I'm trusting you, Lord, and I'm going to shut down this conversation in my head right now. I don't need to think about this anymore. But no matter what it involves, it means trusting him. (laughs) A silly example of this from my life. I remember 10 years ago, right after Happy and I got married, her car needed work. It was a 1998 Crown Victoria. So it's this huge blue beast of a car. It wasn't worth much. It was older, it guzzled gas, and in my opinion, it really wasn't fulfilling any particular need in our family. So I decided rather than dump money into this car, we should just find another older, large vehicle that could haul more stuff or more people and get rid of this thing. Well, I tend to get obsessive with the things I work on. So I was searching and searching for a replacement vehicle such that I was stressed out by it. I was stressed anytime I wasn't on Facebook Marketplace, afraid I was going to miss the best deal or the thing that would serve our family. Well, eventually I stopped. And I confessed to the Lord the way I was obsessing over this search. How I wasn't trusting that he would provide for us when we needed. So I said, Lord, I'm going to hand this to you until I feel I can approach this with more faith. I'm going to lay down this car search and we're just going to fix the Crown Vic for now. Well, it wasn't even a week later. I think it was just a few days later through a truly bizarre event. The Crown Vic got totaled by another vehicle while it was parked. We received double for it than what we would have if we tried to sell it. And we were able to buy our van, which has carried us now for over a decade. And I frequently look at our van and I just think, the kindness of God. What, what an f- interesting way to meet our need. But he is kind. Now, I'm not saying, just stop trying to handle things in your life and God will give you all that you want. We're not talking the prosperity gospel here. So often we're anxious over things that we simply shouldn't be. And we want things that would be no good for us. But what I am saying is keep check on your heart in the midst of your needs. Because in the face of need, God often reveals what we're trusting in. For the believers Peter was writing to, they had anxiety surrounding their persecutions and their sufferings, and they were tempted to lose trust in God. Peter, a couple times throughout his letter, addresses this. He says in chapter 4, Entrust your souls to the faithful creator while doing good. They were tempted to solve their problems in their own wisdom. They were tempted to sin as a way out. They had to ask themselves, could they trust the Lord no matter what? Even if his plan looked different than theirs. How do we respond? This passage offers us peace. And it offers us peace even if God's response to our situations is different than what we might have hoped for. I think of the Apostle Paul. We're told in 2 Corinthians that one of his many trials was a thorn in his flesh. Described as a messenger from Satan that tormented him. We don't know what this thorn was. But what we do know was that Paul pleaded that the Lord might take this from him. And he did this multiple times. And what was the Lord's response? My grace 
is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. God's answer to Paul's prayer was that the trouble would persist for Paul's good, but that the Lord would provide the strength needed to carry on. The Lord would shine as glorious through Paul's struggles. Now, this doesn't mean we don't take our troubles to the Lord. We certainly should, big and small. But we should be prepared to receive provision no matter what it looks like. Sometimes the Lord provides the strength and contentment we need to carry on. And sometimes he does give us that which we've asked for. But either way, he will be glorified through it and we will be better for it. Humility before our God means trusting him with our needs. And we can do this when we know who our God is. So let's take some time now to look at the truths about God that Peter gives us. Truths that bolster our faith and help us submit to him. So the humble cast their cares on God because the humble know who God is. And first, we see the humble know that God is in control. By telling the believers that they're to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, Peter's reminding them that even in the midst of much uncertainty, they were to submit to God's sovereign control over all things. It's easy for us to lose sight of this in the face of our challenges. When the storm clouds roll in or our unmet desires well up, we assume that either God's plan is not good, that he's abandoned us, or that he's unable or unwilling to provide. Well, Peter wants us to go to none of those places. Instead, we're to submit to God's mighty hand. The reality is that even the darkest hours of our lives have been ordained by our God. And rather than trouble us, this should comfort us. If we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then scripture tells us that God is working every moment of our lives for our good, even the dark ones. We don't always know why God brings trials to bear or why prayers seem to go unanswered. Sometimes it's to test and grow our faith. Sometimes it's simply so we can bear witness to the world of God's glory as we faithfully endure. Sometimes it's to correct us and sometimes it's so that at the proper time he can display his glorious deliverance. Whatever the case may be, we can be certain that he's good in it and we can confidently walk with him through it. And if we need help doing this, we need only look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. He was a member of the Godhead, yet he willingly and humbly submitted himself in perfect obedience to the Father, which involved immense suffering for him. Jesus took on flesh. He went to the cross to die for our sins. And Christ did this because, as Peter says in chapter 2, he was entrusting himself to God who judges justly. He knew the mighty hand of God. He knew that obedience to God's will in all things is the only way to true peace and that ultimately God's mighty hand would prevail. A mighty hand without comparison. By saying the mighty hand of God, Peter wants us to think about just what this hand has done and what it can do. It's by God's mighty hand that the heavens were made. 
It's his hand that rules every corner of this vast universe. His hand brought the flood upon the earth and his hand protected Noah and his family. It's his hand that confused the languages at Babel and raised Joseph up in Egypt. His hand divided the Red Sea and saved Israel. His hand destroyed Pharaoh and his armies. In his hand is the will of every king who's ever walked this earth, the destiny of every nation, and the plan of every human heart. His hand rules over every earthly institution and evil power, and his hand raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. Who would not want to submit to this God? I'm glad God is a God who is sovereign. A God who knows what he's doing and a God who can get it done. This same hand is available to us today. It can carry us through any trial. It can deliver us from any evil, defeat any foe, overcome any sin and solve any problem. What pride that we should refuse to cast our cares upon him and instead dwell in fear. What pride to think we could handle our problems on our own. And that pride shows itself so often in our lives. But God is gracious to us. He forgives us our pride and he offers us peace and he offers us protection under this mighty hand. These believers needed to be reminded that rather than grumble or fear in the face of their trials, they needed to trust. Is there something today that you're facing that you find yourself unwilling or unable to trust God with? Is there something that you feel God's calling you to do that that you, you find yourself unwilling to follow? Is there a fear that you just simply can't let go of? I encourage you to remember the mighty hand of this God. You can trust him. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in God, if you've not turned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, which he offers us through his death in our place, then his mighty hand is against you. It may not seem like it now, But there will be a day, even if not until death, when you will see clearly that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I pray that you would come to this God today. By his grace, he can give you the desire and the ability to humble yourself just as he's done for me and he's done for many others. And you too can partake in that grace that he gives to those who trust him. If you're here and you're burdened with anxieties, if these past few years have just been a crushing weight on you, there is a God who wants to help you. And God's plan is grace for those who trust him. His plan is that we might experience his glory. His plan is ultimately to exalt his people, not to make them low. The humble know that God's in control and the humble know that God exalts. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that at the proper time, he might exalt you. Verse 6, we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand because we know, as Peter says later, after we have suffered a little while, 
The God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the cross for the joy that was set before him, and he's now been raised up and is seated in glory at the right hand of God. And as those who have humbled themselves before God, we get to partake in that glory of Christ. We get to rejoice at his coming. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that a great reversal will take place. We look out at our situations and a lot of times this does not feel present. This does not feel real. But one day, all that is wrong will be made right. One day, all that seems weak and lowly and humiliated now will be renewed and standing in a place of honor then. As I was reflecting on this, I couldn't help but think of the story of Cinderella. We all know this. Cinderella faithfully, with much grace and kindness, serves her wicked stepmother and stepsisters. She lives in the house that should rightfully be hers, but she doesn't live in it as an owner, but as a slave. She endures scorns, mocking, and contempt from her self-important in-laws. However, in a great reversal, through some quite fantastic events, it's Cinderella in her humility who's lifted up. It's before Cinderella that the evil stepmother and stepsisters find themselves bowing. It's Cinderella who's made clean and beautiful. Despite the family striving to make a name for themselves, it was Cinderella, the ashen-covered peasant, who's elevated high in the end. In this life, there will be many, many occurrences where we're brought low, where we're looking like the ashen-covered peasants. Through situation, through attack, Sometimes it's just that we'll look at the condition of our life and think, this does not seem fitting for a child of the living God. These believers facing persecution likely felt humiliated. I'm sure they wanted to win the arguments. They wanted to control the culture. They wanted to be on top. Like all of us, I'm sure they wanted comfort and they wanted resources. And God says, don't worry about that now. At the proper time, I will exalt you. Our current culture continues to shift further and further from God. With it, our reputations will experience greater contempt as we stand for the things of God. This can cause us to panic. We don't like feeling like we're losing. To this, God says, don't worry about that now. At the proper time, I will exalt you, and I will exalt you in the ways that are proper. Rather, seek to walk humbly and faithfully before me. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What we see right now is not the reality. There are heavenly things going on and there is a glorious hope and a glorious future that awaits creation and the children of God. Let's hope in that. And this applies to all manner of things in life. Whatever trial you're facing, God will bring reversal. At the end of all things, at the dawn of the new and final age, God will make all things new. Every wrong will be judged. Every wrong we've committed will be judged. And Jesus Christ will pay the penalty for that sin. 
The faithful will be exalted and all hardship will cease and all sacrifices will be rewarded in full by the mere presence of our God. I'm certain that when we take one glimpse at God and his glory, every challenge of this life will seem but a distant memory. Every want, every unmet desire will fade away. We won't be thinking, but Lord, why didn't I get that house? Or why didn't I get that raise? Lord, why did I have to suffer under that illness or under that contempt? Paul says in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. You can trust him with your hardships, knowing that whether in this life or the next, God will exalt you. And he does this because he cares for us. The humble know God is sovereign, that he exalts, and that he cares. Why should we cast our anxieties upon God? Because he cares. He cares for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The God of the universe cares for us. He's not a distant blind watchmaker who wound things up and stepped away. He is an ever-present loving father. God so loved us that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. How could we possibly doubt his care for us? When Israel was wandering in the wilderness, they became hungry and tired and thirsty. They charged Moses and God with bringing them out to die. They wished that they could return to their slavery in Egypt. This is foolishness. God had revealed his glory to them. God had provided them with such a great salvation. Would God really bring them out into the wilderness then just to let them die? We've received an even greater salvation. And through his death on the cross, Jesus proved to us beyond any doubt that God loves us. Jesus is our greatest provision and he's met our greatest need. Jesus says in Matthew 7, which of you... If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If we who are evil love our children, how much more does our heavenly father love us? I'm sure the moms in this room would be devastated if your children were too terrified to come to you with their needs. Doubting your love for them or your unwillingness to provide. Sometimes, yes, we don't always give them what they want because we know, hopefully, what they need. Maybe it's not good for them or there's something they need to learn, but ultimately, Lord willing, we have their best in mind. And we're fallen people. God is perfect. God is just. God is loving. And he cares for us. And though he already knows our needs, he wants us to bring our troubles to him. He wants them to take 
wants to take them from us. He wants to provide for us in them. And as we make a habit of handing our needs over to him, we grow closer to him, which is what we need the most, nearness to our God. When we are near with God, it puts all of the lesser things into perspective. All of those other things pale in comparison to knowing and being in fellowship with our God. Church, hear this call this morning. Let's ask God for the strength that we might humble ourselves before him by casting our cares on him. He is eager and he is desirous that we would. And in so doing, we are trusting the one whose mighty hand can save, who will one day make all things right and who cares for us beyond comparison. We get to know, we get to love, we get to trust this God. Let's do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you care. We thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you have good plans for us and you intend for us to delight in you for all of eternity, enjoying your goodness, finding fulfillment, finding peace, finding satisfaction in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus did this perfectly, went to the cross and died for our sins so that we might bring our sins before you today and ask for forgiveness, that we might bring our needs before you today knowing that you hear and knowing that you care. Father, I pray for any in this room who have needs that they feel unable to release. By the power of your spirit, help them to do so. Help them to hand their needs over to you that they might experience the grace that you give to the humble. We thank you for your loving hand. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.